So, Father, as we come before you in Jesus' name through the blood of the Lamb, Lord, we thank you for your word. Where would we be tonight without the word of the Lord? We thank you. Lord, your word is an anchor in our lives. And, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the presence of God here tonight. You alone are holy and awesome and worthy of all the glory. There's none like you. And Lord, as we come before you through the blood of the Lamb, we all agree together and we ask you tonight that you would speak through me under an anointing. And Lord, let everything be spoken that needs to be said. Let your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us, everyone listening by, you know, whether they're hearing this through a podcast or however. Lord, let the Holy Spirit move upon all of us and help us right now to give you our full attention, our focus, that the Holy Spirit helps us to get locked in and focused. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to be thinking about other things. But the Holy Spirit helps us to tune into what you're saying. And Lord, help us to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that the Word of God will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil of our hearts and our minds, our lives, our families. And the Holy Spirit will water those seeds of truth and they will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest in our lives of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, I pray your word will go forth like a bright light shining into dark places and dispelling deception and bring truth. Let your word go out like a hammer Lord, that's going to break through strongholds of the enemy. Let your word go out as the washing of the water of the word to cleanse and purify. And Lord, we ask you tonight that the word of God, the wind of the Holy Spirit, will carry this out among the nations through the internet. However this needs to get out there, it's going to get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to accomplish. And Lord, it will be under a mighty anointing. And Lord, we thank you. And we know that Jesus taught us the birds of the air try to steal the seed. And that's the demonic. So Lord, we submit every aspect of this, this word tonight, this series unto you. In unreserved obedience, we submit unto God. And we resist the devil corporately. We take authority together. And we bind in the name of Jesus anything that would try to hinder this word, that would try to distract, that would try to hinder it from getting where it needs to go, or try to hinder it from accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We bind you now in the name of Jesus. Back off and go right now. We break your power. And Lord, we ask you, let your mighty angels just clear all that away. And the Holy Spirit just to move in power. And Lord, let everything be accomplished in and through the word of God that you will to be done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, in different ways, my wife and I have ministered. And because of her testimony, there are some people out there in different places that we're kind of known for that. There's been people that have been really delivered from things and and so we're kind of known in that realm, I guess you could say, and people that think of us, that know us that way, probably think of things like warfare and deliverance. There's other places we've ministered where people really healed, and people may think along those lines. And I know that our hearts has always been about revival and souls. That's Man, that is a real focus, and I've got a lot of revival friends, and that's probably how they think about us when they think of my wife and I. But if you want to know really, truly, what my heart is in the ministry is the title of this sermon tonight, God's Glory Dwelling Among Us. That's really what my heart is in the ministry. That God would dwell, that his tabernacling presence be among us. And in that glory, that there'll be souls saved, there'll be people healed, there'll be people delivered and baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and have encounters with God and all of that. But my heart is really to have a dwelling place for the Lord. And so, with that in mind, I dealt about a month ago or so, remember I dealt with this, I can't get back into it, but the Freemasonic, the, the prince over this region, things that have been set up against revival, people that have, um, their ministries have been destroyed, their, uh, whatever it is, the, they're out of the ministry, the churches have, have shut down, the people that have physically died, etc., there's been a tremendous war, and there's also, there was a window for revival that was missed years ago, around 2005, but I believe that it's coming back around again, and I believe we're going to have another chance at it, to see a great move of God. 
and I want to be ready. And I can't get back into that sermon. It was actually quite lengthy, and there was a lot there, and it was very important. It was very important for River of Life to know what's going on, extremely important. And the Holy Spirit thought enough of all of this to push pause on what we were doing and to speak that. So make sure that we humble ourselves and we hear these messages from the Holy Spirit. And then we dealt with other things for the next couple weeks. We dealt with prayer and, um, you know, just other aspects of, of messages God gave me. But tonight I want to deal with the holiness of God. And probably you've never heard a sermon quite like this because a lot of times, even among my revival peers, we use the words holiness and righteousness like a synonym, that they're the same thing, but they're really not. And I'm dealing with that tonight because you're going to see that it's extremely important that if we want a dwelling place for God, that we understand the holiness of God. And how many knows that you cannot play around with the holy things of God? And so I'm going to open with this scripture, and this is primarily the scripture I want you to, to keep in your mind through the whole sermon. And it's Proverbs 9, verse 10. And it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Some translations say holy one, but it's not. It, in the Hebrew, it's just holy. It's the kedoshim. It comes from the root word kadosh. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What I'm seeing in our, in our generation, like no other time in my lifetime, and as I've studied uh, American history and revivals in America, and I know a little bit about our history and how things were in our culture, I don't think there's been a time in America ever that there's been such a lack of the fear of the Lord, even among God's people. And that concerns me. And we need the fear of the Lord back in the church and in our society. But Jesus, it said about the Lord in Isaiah, it gave the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. It called him the Spirit of the Lord, then wisdom and revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And it said about Jesus, the branch, it said that he would delight in the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is something that is an attribute of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we need, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that he will convict of sin. And so we need the Holy Spirit to begin to move again among God's people in a way to convict of sin and deal with things that need to be dealt with. I'll give you a quick story. Um, this is recent. There are just different people that follow our ministry that you guys have never met. Uh, through the internet and they and I communicate with some of them wonderful people and probably some of them will hear this but one lady shared a story that I'll show you what I'm talking about she has a Facebook page so there was one of her friends had publicly on her page begin to ridicule a church because the pastor made the statement that if you're living together and you're you know cohabitating and you're not married you need to get married now, how many knows that's the truth? And let me just park there for a minute make it real clear. The sexually immoral, the Bible says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if people are living in any sexual sin, whatever it is, when you die, you don't go to heaven. You go down. That's just the way it is. Repent. Well, this pastor got up probably a lot more gently than I would have, and he simply said that, that you need to deal with that and get married. He was really nice about it. Well, this lady was, um, she was living in sin with a boyfriend. So she was offended, wasn't going to go back to the church, and she was speaking negative about the pastor. And this, this lady that follows our ministry simply responded to her and said, look, you know, I don't think he was wrong. He was just saying what the Word of God says. And that's his job, to preach the Word. Well, this lady really attacked her and was very um, negative and said, well, that's, Listen to what she said. She said, you're the reason and one of the reasons why Christianity is on the decline. You see how this whole thing's getting flipped around? They want some kind of a God that suits them. They want some kind of a Jesus that is, that is okay with their sin. They want some kind of a Bible 
that's going to wink at things in their life. It doesn't work that way. God does not change. That's what we're dealing with when you have a lack of the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. So again, that comes from the root word kadosh. You have to understand, I'm going to deal a lot with that word holy tonight. Kadosh. Because a lot of people think that that means like purity. And that's really not what holiness actually means in the Bible, but it does work with purity. And so hopefully this will make sense as we go. For something to be holy means that it is unique, it is special, it is set apart unto God. Let me say that again. Please hear me tonight. It's unique and it's special. It's set apart unto God. Therefore, because it's set apart unto God, it needs to be treated with the utmost respect. And I'll give you one example and then I need to move on. Just like tonight, here we are, we're in this shopping center area, and there's all kinds of buildings around here. You've got restaurants, you've got all these other places you shop, but none of them, except for here, is necessarily set apart. There may be a few other churches, okay, but, but all these restaurants and these places, they're just secular. But this area here, is set apart from among them as a place for the Lord. It's set apart. Therefore, because it's set apart, it's unique, it's special, and it's holy, and it's to be treated with the utmost respect because it is holy ground, you see. And I'll deal more with that as we go. But holy means set apart. Now, let me say a few things that came to me. So in Ezra, Ezra was dealing with a very difficult situation because he was living in a time of restoration. How many knows any time you're dealing with destroyed ruins that you're trying to restore is challenging, okay? And Ezra was living in a time when he was taken back, the children of Israel who had been in captivity for 70 years. Many of them, they were already worldly before they left, but how much more worldly had God's people become living in you know, Babylon and then Persia, etc. So Ezra's coming back. He's bringing this group back. And he himself is, is a descendant of Aaron. He's a Cohen. And he knows the word of God. And here he is trying to get these people, this remnant that are coming back with him, he's trying to, to teach the word and get them back where they need to be. Well, they go into the land of Israel, in particular into Jerusalem, and they're going to rebuild the temple. Well, you have to understand that the Samaritans were living there, and the Samaritans have been people that even though some of them had some Jewish lineage, they were still far from the Lord, they were paganized. And these people came to Ezra, seeing what he was wanting to do to rebuild the temple, and they said to Ezra, they said, hey, we will join in with your people and we'll help you. Now, here's the problem. The Samaritans represented a lot of mixture, paganism, things that were off. And Ezra said this to them. He basically said, you have no part in the work of the Lord whatsoever. We will take care of this. Well, they got offended by that and turned against him and began to persecute and work against what God was trying to do. But Ezra could not compromise. Those people were paganized and they were worldly and they could not have been building the holy dwelling of God. They could not have participated in that. Do you understand? That would have brought a mixture. And so Ezra had no choice but to tell him no. And then I remembered in the New Testament time when Philip went to Samaria. And Philip was seeing this great revival. Jesus had went there, remember, and talked to the woman at the well. And there was kind of a preparation that was done by Jesus. But years later, now, Philip goes into Samaria. 
and great revival breaks out. Many people are coming to know the Lord. Great signs and wonders. I mean, the cripples are being healed. Demons are coming out of people with a shriek. It's a, it's a mighty move of God. And there was a man there in, in this area, in Samaria, that his name was Simon, and he was a sorcerer. So he was somebody that was adept in the black arts, the dark arts. He was practicing witchcraft. And he had amazed those people because apparently he had had some power with the devil and was doing some legitimate things. And when Philip came in under the power of the Holy Ghost, Simon was amazed at this. And he himself ended up following Philip and accepting the Lord. Well, that's awesome. But here's the problem. Simon was young in the Lord and was still, he was, still had a lot of mixture in his life. And he said to Peter, he saw Peter and John when they came, they prayed for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you can only imagine what was happening. You know, people are speaking in tongues, people are prophesying, people are falling out under the power. It's an awesome thing. Simon is seeing the power of God, and he said to them, could you, I'll give you money, but could you give me the power to be able to do that? Well, listen to what Peter said. He was pretty rough about it. He said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He said, now listen, this is important. He said, you have no part, no portion in this matter, in this ministry. Your heart is not right. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. But listen, here's Peter, there's some compassion. He says, I see in you that you're still full of bitterness and in bondage to iniquity. He still needs to be delivered from some things, which I'm sure. But Simon humbled himself. And he said, please pray to the Lord for me that none of that that you said would happen to me. He, did, he probably spoke out of ignorance and didn't know what he was saying. But Peter could not put up with witchcraft blending into the ministry of the Lord. And Peter had to make a declaration up front, Simon, you have no part or share in this ministry at all. And you have to take a stand like that because there's things that Satan will try to bring in to, to um, bring like a defilement and a mixture into the work of the Lord. And I can't help but think about it. I've already talked about this before, but remember when Paul had to deal with that woman that had a python spirit, remember? She was saying these are servants of the Most High and following him around, and he had to turn around and cast the devil out of her. And he could not let her come in practicing that witchcraft and join in with his ministry and bring that blend. It would have killed the move of God. So there had to be a stand for righteousness that there was a line of demarcation that was drawn by Ezra I'm sure he was thinking to himself look we, we love everybody we're not against you but you have no part or share in building this temple if this is a holy work of the Lord I'm sure Peter and John loved Simon loved the Samaritans they, I'm sure the Lord Jesus had done a great work in their life about all of that but they could not let sorcery come in they had to take a stand. So now let me switch over. So I explained to you what holiness is. Now let's talk about righteousness. Righteousness means right living. So you're doing what the Lord said to do, and you're not doing what he said don't do. Okay, that's righteousness. You're living the word of God. And just without go going real deep into that, look at the Ten Commandments. Number one, that we remove any idolatry from our lives. So anything that, you know, obviously if you're worshiping other gods, you repent. But I mean, any idol in your life that you repent of that. Taking God's name in vain, you repent of that. The Bible says, you know, remembering the Sabbath, I'll talk more about that later. But honoring parents, hatred, murder, lust, dishonesty grumbling, envy, these type of things that the Bible's against. In 1 Corinthians 10.20, the Apostle Paul gave a list of things. He was showing, 
He said, look, these things were written for our admonition. I mean, look at the children of Israel, how they, they worshiped the golden calf and how they, they grumbled and complained against the Lord. And he was given these examples of Israel's history. And he said, these things were written for our example. And so Paul is saying to repent of things we need to. And it's, it's righteousness because we understand what God wants and we want to do what he wants us to do and we don't want to do what he said not to do. Is this making sense? In 1 Corinthians 10.20, in dealing with idolatry and the pagans, he said, I say that things which the Gentiles sacrifice, and understand the Roman temples of that time, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to become a sharer in demons. And so these other religions, witchcraft, etc., but all these other religions, you have to understand that there are demonic spirits behind it, and that's what people are worshiping. They don't probably realize that many times, but that is what they're worshiping. But God has called us to be holy. That we are to be set apart from others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, rather, he talks about this, the concept of holiness. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to talk about a few things here in a moment. 2 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 14, he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, how important is this? For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? We just talked about a moment ago. Those that sacrifice to idols sacrifice to demons. Paul said, I don't want you to be a partaker with demons. He said, I want you to get away from repent and get away from these things. What is the temple of God now a true believer is? You are supposed to be. And also collectively we're like living stones coming together building a tabernacle, if you will, like a temple for God to dwell. But look at what Paul goes on to say. We are the temple of the living God. And listen, he quotes the word of God in the Old Testament. He says this, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. That's holy. Paul understood being set apart. You have to understand the concept here. This was given to Israel, but unfortunately I believe that it was lost in many places. See, Israel understood this. The concept of holy. For example... One of many examples. The firstborn was unto God. The nation of Israel, under the law of Moses, their firstborn son, they had to go to the temple. They had to redeem them with silver. That firstborn was holy unto God. But the firstborn of the flock and the herd, that firstborn belonged to God. So the firstborn of the calf, that was God's. It was holy. You understand what I'm saying? And God told them, don't put a yoke on it. You don't treat that animal like another farm animal. That is to be set apart unto me. They understood holiness. They understood that they had to take that animal and separate that animal from any others. And the next time they went to the temple, they took that animal with them to the temple to offer it to God. And there's many other examples I could give, and I actually will as we go on. But they understood holy. And so Paul was given this example. He said, God said about this, even under the law of Moses, how much more so is it true now in Christ? God said, I will dwell in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. There, he said, I'll walk among them. He said, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. That's righteous living. And I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. But it is that holiness and righteousness. 
the Lord says, be separate. It's holy. And then he said, don't touch the unclean that's righteous. Because you're a holy people, there's things you won't do that other people will do. Because you're a holy people, there's places you won't go that others will go. See, our Pentecostal heritage understood this. They understood about living separate. They, some, I know that they went to an extreme about it in some cases, but they understood it. Our Pentecostal heritage understood that the people of the world, they could, you know, do things and, and live a certain way, but that we were holy. We were the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we couldn't participate in the things that they could. Our revival heritage understood being holy. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul is continuing along these lines of thought. So keep this in mind. I, God said, I will be in them. I will walk among them. You are my holy people. Therefore, you come out from among those wicked people and you be separate unto me. You don't touch the unclean. And I will receive you. Continuing in that, it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Y'all read that with me. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? I will dwell with you. I will be in you. I will walk among you. You will be my people. Having these promises, Paul said, Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves from any defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Holiness, again, implies being special, unique, set apart. So God's people are to be a holy people to him. We are set apart from the rest of the world. We are not like the world. We don't think. We don't speak. We don't act. We don't dress. We don't drink. We don't do this, that, and the other like the world. The world is one way. That's the heathen. They belong to Satan. We are another way because we belong to the Most High. We've been bought. We are paid for by the blood of the Lamb. We are to be a holy people. So holy is set apart. Righteous means that we do what God says do, and we don't do what he says not to do because we're holy. See, it works together. Because I'm a holy person, I refuse to do this, that, and the other. So let me give you the concept here of holiness. This is just a few things. There are many more I could give examples, but I just want you to see a few tonight. Number one, we all know this, but the Bible is holy. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of religious literature, but the Bible is holy. It is set apart from every other book as the holy word of God. It is unique, it is special, and it is to be treated unique and special and holy. Also along these lines, the tithes and offerings. We have money that God entrusts to us, but the tithe and the offering belongs to the Lord. It's His. It's holy. As you know, believe it or not, that money can be holy. <laughs> it is The tithes and offerings belong to God. They are holy unto Him. And Malachi 3 says that if you refuse, you see, you understand, God gives us money, but there's a portion of that that is His, it is holy, it belongs to Him. And if you don't treat that as such, you're going to treat it the same way you do the rest, you're not dealing with it in the fear of the Lord. You're stealing from God. In God's eyes, I say this in love, but you're a thief. And God has a problem with that. 
I don't think it will keep you out of heaven, but it will cause problems in your relationship with the Lord. Leviticus 27, 30-32, the tithes and offerings belong to God. Malachi 3, the tithes and offerings, he said, if you, they, he said they're mine, and he, he rebuked the people of Israel for stealing from God. And then Hebrews 7 makes it clear that we are God's people, and we are in the order of Melchizedek, a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. And Abraham, when he came to Melchizedek, he gave his tithe to him. Tithes and offerings are a holy thing. It's serious. It means something to the Lord. Another thing that is holy, did you know that your Christian brothers and sisters are God's holy people? And did you know that if you maliciously hurt them, that you're going to be judged for that. They are God's holy people. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, every one of them are always going to be your favorite person or whatever. And there's people that I know there's personality conflicts, but nonetheless, they are still God's holy people, even though you may not like everything about them. And they may not like everything about you or me. But you have to understand that they are still God's people. And we need to be careful to not hurt God's holy people. To not disrespect them or to gossip about them and tear them down. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a holy people. Another thing that is holy unto God, Ephesians 3.5, spiritual leaders. The apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, and leaders among God's people, they are set apart as holy. Don't come against, don't tear down, don't try to destroy, and come against leaders. Be careful how you handle God's anointed. It can bring judgment on your life. I know there's sometimes people have been somewhere and they, they felt like they needed to leave. Then leave, and leave right. Don't tear up things. Just leave quietly and move on. But so many people out there, they want to try to destroy the leader. They want to destroy their family. They want to destroy the church. Let me tell you something. I promise you, one of these days, somehow God will recompense those things. You're messing with the holy things of God. You know what else is holy in the Bible? Hebrews 13 verse 4, marriage. Marriage is holy, and the marriage bed is holy. You have to understand that you have, we all have lots of different relationships. Friends and relatives and neighbors and co workers, and we know all these different people, acquaintances, church family. But whenever a man and a woman come together before God in, mar in a marriage relationship, that relationship is very holy before God. And it's to be treated as such. The Bible says marriage is to be honored by all. And the marriage bed undefiled. The marriage bed is holy. Be careful how you treat marriage. People that are trying to treat marriage like it's between two men or two women or whatever. They don't understand how blasphemous that is. Be careful in the marriage bed that you're not defiling that marriage bed, bringing in pornography or bringing, you know, adulterous things into your relationship. Guard marriage. Guard the marriage bed. It's holy. You know what else is holy? God's name. God's name is so holy. And the Bible says to not take his name in vain. Be careful how you use God's name. People that use it as a byword, as a cuss word, or they use it you know, indiscriminately in a wrong way, I promise you, there will be recompense for these things one day. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Be careful how you use God's name. 
And this is one I really wanted to dwell on tonight for a few moments, and that is the place of worship. Like I mentioned earlier, Exodus 29:43, God said to Israel, He said, Have them make me a tabernacle that I might dwell among them. But around that tabernacle, I want you all to hear me tonight. Give me your best ear. Around the tabernacle, God had the Levites living. And then he had Moses and Aaron and the, the Kohanim, the priest in the front there. He encapsulated the tabernacle with the Levites and the priest where they lived. Because it was so holy, he wanted to make sure that people didn't just indiscriminately walk up into that holy place and defile it. It was one of the jobs of the priesthood to guard the holiness and the sanctity of the tabernacle. Is this making sense? So a place that is set apart unto God as holy. A place now where His glory comes and dwells. That place needs to be respected. And I, I talked about this a few years back. But it's really grieved me because I've seen even terminology. You know, now years ago, in every church, the area of worship was always referred to as a sanctuary. As far back as I can remember. How many of y'all remember that? And in some places it still is. But sadly, it has been replaced somewhat. And I'm not against lights and things, but it's made it to be more of like something that's entertaining and listen to the terminology now in many places it's called the auditorium and not the sanctuary well that's significant don't think that these terminologies being changed is not significant it's very significant because what happens in an auditorium performance what happens in a sanctuary worship it's two different things and I think that people have lost the awe of God. They've lost the reverence. They've, they've lost the fear of God. That people can come into God's house so indiscriminately. And, and the way some people dress coming into the house of God, that you know, some women will come in and they're dressed like the women of the world. Produ provocative, seductive. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And if they had an ounce of the fear of God about them, they wouldn't do that. Especially in God's house. Not that they should be doing it outside of God's house either. The things that are talked about, it, it never ceases to amaze. You, you would hear, even in the glory, you hear somebody over there and they're bad-mouthing another person. In God's presence, in the house of God, they're going to gossip. I'm concerned with the lack of the fear of God and what people are bringing in. And because of that, the glory of God leaves. And let me tell you something from example, I mean, many examples, but I know this from experience of things I've seen out there. If a place has ever had the glory and they lose it because of things not being right, it won't just be a loss of the glory. Hear what I'm about to tell you. Demonic forces will come in and replace that glory. And they will create a stronghold to make sure that glory never comes back. You're going to deal with demonic spirits. And how many places, how many times have you guys heard this said, and it's, and it's, man, it's true. There's nothing more dead than a Pentecostal church that used to have a move of God and lost it. It's like twice dead. Pulled up by the roots, dead. You hear what I'm saying? Why? Because once they lost it, a demonic force came out of religion. It's dead. I mean, it, it's dead. Be careful with the way you treat God's house and God's presence. It concerns me. I've shared this with my wife. Now with technology and phones and and, you know, tablets, etc., and what people bring in, I wonder what all people are looking at in the presence of God. I wonder what conversations and what words are being read and, and typed back and forth and what type of conversations are happening. You better be careful. 
You're not dealing with just me. You're dealing with the Holy Ghost. So be careful in God's house. And let me tell you something else. We want, at least my wife and I, and I believe a lot of people in River of Life want this too, we want our home to be a place where God dwells. And it's the same concept. There's a lot of things I won't put up with here because I want the Lord here more than I want people. I love everybody. I'm not mad at anybody. But I'll deal with what I have to and I won't stop because I want Him here. And it's the same thing in my house. I want the glory in my home. And my wife and I have dedicated unto God. We prayed over it. It's holy. There's other homes in the neighborhood, but this home is set apart unto God. And God's glory is there. But if you want the glory there, you have to guard that. And you can't just watch anything and let just anything go on. Because the glory will not remain. It grieves the Holy Spirit. The, you know, the foul language, the, the nudity and all the, the sexual stuff and the occult stuff and the junk that's out. You've got to be careful to be, uh, you know, selective about things. Guard it. Because the glory can leave. And people, if they're not careful, the glory will turn against some people. See, I don't want God to ever have to judge me. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to just say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, just do it. I don't want God to have to come in and pry something out of my fingers that I refuse to let go. He can do that, but it's going to be a very painful thing. It's going to come through judgment instead of it just being simple. How easy would it be for us, all of us in the body of Christ, if we just say, Lord, whatever you've got to do. Take out of me whatever you got to take out. Put, every, put in what you got to. Change what you got to. I surrender everything to you. But God's house has got to be guarded. And if you want the glory in your home, you're going to have to guard it and deal with it. And God, if, if people don't do right, God will expose it in time. He gives, it, he gives space to repent. But in time, I've seen it happen over and over. He will bring light to it. He will expose it. And He will deal with it. That's like that, I was telling you that story earlier about you know, that lady that was saying the pastor said you need to get married. Well, of course. But what happened? Things were being exposed and there's no repentance. So it's being purged out. And look this way. It's being exposed. There was no repentance so it's purged out. Did y'all get that? God will expose, he'll give space to repent. He'll expose things, but ultimately if people are not going to repent, he'll purge them out so that the rest of the body can go on deeper in Christ. So the place of worship, and I'll never forget this. I've shared this story, but I want to share it again because I believe there's people that will hear this that have not heard me tell this story. I remember years ago when I was going to Brownsville, and there was people there, it was so powerful. The glory of God was so awesome. And I remember that there was a group that I went with, and there was a leader, one of the, the deacons of the church was with us. But I remember I was quite young at the time, and the group that was there, there was a lot of us that were younger, and he was an elder with us. And I remember just how he was, and it always stayed with me to this day. Here we were in Brownsville at the Revival. You know, I went there many, many times. But as I was there with him, I remember how reverential he was about the fact that we were in a holy place. And that we were in the presence of God. His attitude was one of awe and reverence of God. It wasn't flippant. He also, not only was he reverential... But I remember that he had brought some anointing oil and he had it in his pocket and he just to himself, he was anointing himself with oil, anointing his hands and he was praying and he saw me that I noticed it and he, he's like, do you want to, and you know, he let me use it too and we were praying together but he was so reverential of where we were and the presence of the Lord, he wanted to make sure that he himself was ready to receive. 
What would it be like, let me just give you something to think about, if through the week, people really prayed for the church service that was coming up? What would it be like if through the week, people really prayed for the worship team, prayed for the pastor, prayed for the altar ministry, and also people prepared themselves before they came to church? You know, they took time to really pray, and Lord, is there anything in me that I need to deal with? And they, they came like this man did. They come reverential of being in a holy place in the presence of God, and were there to, to meet with the Lord and to have an encounter with Him. What would that be like? I just encourage people about this because I felt that point when I was preparing this sermon that we're praying about revival. And there's some people who have been with me for a little while that can tell you that we've seen it now, I don't know, 12 times, who knows, where people wouldn't deal with their stuff. And eventually God said, that's it. It was exposed. Out they went. And it was God that did it. And I want, I want God to be here. I want Him to be pleased. I want this to be holy ground. I want His glory here. And I love everybody. I think that y'all know that. I think you know that why my wife and I love you. But I love Him more. And I love His presence being here more. <clears throat> and so let me give you a couple more. Also another thing that is holy... Did you know the Bible says that we are now, as a Christian, you are now the tabernacle or the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know, therefore, your body is now holy ground? Let me just take time here to talk about our bodies. We cannot treat our body the same as the heathen treat their bodies. Because God the Holy Spirit won't deal with it. I wish I put that scripture in here, but I didn't. But you can look it up. The Bible says this. Because we are the, the temple of the Spirit of God. He said, if you allow your body to be defiled. But sexual immorality or whatever. You defile your temple. It says in there, God will destroy that temple. And it's talking about sickness and premature death. That's what it's talking about. And it says that. It says, if you defile God's temple, God will destroy that temple. So, your body is to be a living sacrifice, holy unto God. Is this scripture making a little bit more sense in light of this sermon tonight? Let me say it again. Our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, holy. God views us and our bodies as holy ground where His Spirit dwells in us. I remember years ago, there was a man, powerful, powerful, prophetic man, um, that he was probably, in my opinion, one of the most accurate prophetic individuals since the early church in the body of Christ. Very powerful. It flowed very powerfully with signs and wonders. But when he was young, there was this angel of the Lord that appeared to him. Now I want you all to hear me tonight. Make sure you hear what I'm saying. This is vital. When he was young, there was this angel of the Lord that appeared to him and spoke to him and told him this. And it scared him. But this angel told him, said, You make sure that you do not smoke or drink or do anything that would defile your temple because when you get older, God has a work for you to do. Well, that scared him half to death. He literally dropped his water buckets, ran home, and hid under his bed. <laughs> holy and the fear of God came upon him, and it was a holiness. So, the world will do all kinds of things with their bodies that we're not going to do with our bodies because our bodies are holy. Okay, and the Bible gives examples like sexual immorality. Did you know that the Bible says about sexual immorality that you sin against your own body? But it is definitely a defiling of your body. And now as a believer, 
God expects us that we're going to repent of sexual immorality. Did you know things that you do with your body, practicing things like the occult, it can defile you big time. Not just your body, it will defile your body, but it can defile your soul. There's things that you can participate in. I think about yoga. Putting your body that's supposed to be holy unto God in positions that are worshipped to those Hindu demon gods. I think about marking the tattoos and the piercings that people do to their bodies. I think about other things that people participate in. Things that the drugs and stuff that people are putting into their body it's defiling their body. And because of these defilements, people end up getting infested by demonic things that they have to get delivered of. But as a Christian, God says, your body is now holy, holy ground where I dwell by my spirit, and you better treat it as such. Even though this is kind of an addendum to that point, I put in here communion, anointing with oil, and water immersion. Those are the three things that God uses to deeply consecrate us. Because he knows that we live in this fallen world, and he knows that once we accept Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and he expects us to be a holy people now. And so God gives us things like the communion table. In the communion table, I want you to follow me just for a moment here. Think about for a moment. You have regular matzah bread. I mean, whether you want to use that or another type of bread. How many knows there's a lot of bread out there? But whenever you take that bread and you set it apart for communion, it becomes holy. Now it's holy bread. You, there's a lot of grape juice in the world. <laughs> but whenever you take grape juice and you set it apart for communion... It becomes a holy thing. Now I'm going to tell you, whenever I'm up here leading you guys in communion every week, I never lose the awe of what we're doing. That you're talking about something that is very holy unto God. The communion table is a holy thing. And you better be careful with communion. It's something that we need to be doing but people that put communion in their body and then they're going to go out and use their body for sin, they're going to bring judgment on their body. The communion table is so holy. I think about the anointing with oil. You know, God talked about in, you know, through James, the brother Jesus if there's any sick among you, let him anoint them with oil and pray over them. The prayer of faith will bring healing to the sick. But all through the Bible, you see in Exodus 40 how Moses anointed the tabernacle. You see in Exodus, I believe, 29, where Moses anointed the priesthood. And you, you see down through the ages that the oil has been used to set apart as holy. And when we go through, my wife and I pray and we anoint you with oil. Yeah, we'll pray for any sickness, but it's more than that. It, it's something where God is setting you apart the oil, it, it's something that's consecrating. It's powerful. I'll never forget when I read Exodus 40. And Moses went through and God told him, set up the tabernacle. For the first time he set it up. And God said, start in the Holy of Holies and work your way out, but anoint everything. He went through and anointed the ark, anointed everything. And once he got outside looking at the tabernacle, then the glory of God came down and saturated it. And God said, I'll now sanctify it with my presence. And I got to thinking about the fact that now we are the living, breathing tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And so when I go through and I anoint people and pray over them, just like Moses, it, I'm seeing this now from a New Testament perspective, that I'm anointing the living, breathing tabernacle. And I believe in God's glory to saturate you. And if you're sick, God's going to heal you. And I think about the waters of immersion. There's a lot of water out there. But when you set apart water for this purpose, to baptize people, it becomes holy. It's holy ground where the fire of God will get in it. 
How many of you guys, this last time we had water immersion, how many of you guys felt the power of God in that water? It was awesome. I remember Brownsville, they had that all the time. They had to carry a lot of people out of the baptismal because they'd go out under the power under the water. What about time? I'm going to close out with the next couple points. Time. A lot of people talk about the Sabbath day and they say, well, it was under Moses and all that. Well, that's true. But it was also in creation before there ever was a Moses. That, the, excuse me, that's also true. So God has always had time that he wanted set apart to him. Just like you have money and, and some of it is set apart, it's holy unto God. Also, there's the concept of time that's set apart unto God. And that really spoke to me. When I began to study all this out in you know, the Word of God, I began to see that there are certain people, there are certain places, and there are certain things that are to be set apart unto God, as, and it's holy. And because it's holy... Is to be treated with the utmost reverence. And I don't think that people have to keep a Sabbath day to go to heaven. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that there is a principle in the word. That if you will set apart a day out of your week. It's like a tithe if you will. You'll set apart a day into him. It's a special thing. A day of rest. It's something that's holy. And not only a day. But I think about every day. There's I set apart time that I spend with him. That time that I spend with the Lord every day, that becomes holy time. Because it's set apart from the rest of my day. And therefore it's to be treated differently. Is this making sense tonight? When something's holy unto God, we have to realize that to him, it is now special and unique. Before a church got in this place here, this, this wasn't important. But now that there's a church here, it becomes holy and it becomes very important to the Lord. And it's to be treated differently. So I think about the concept of the Sabbath. I think about the concept of the feast days that we have, etc. Daily prayer. And then finally, let me say this, and I need to get to the next couple points and close out, but also the nation of Israel. You know, there's a huge land mass out there. But that little place that God promised Abraham, that land mass is holy. And those that mess with it, they mess with God. And God will judge them. And he has judged them. And out of all the different capitals that are out there in different nations, Jerusalem is the holy city. It is set apart from every other national capital as holy unto God. And if you mess with Jerusalem, God will mess with you. And what I'm trying to get at tonight is this. We need to see ourselves as the way God wants us to see ourselves, that we're supposed to be a holy people. We are peculiar. We are set apart. We are different from the world. There's things that we won't do. There's, there's, there's movies we won't see. There's places, clubs and bars and wicked places that we just don't go. There's people that we won't hang around. There's conversations we refuse to have. There's things that we're not going to put in our bodies. We're different. And so this is what I wanted to get to tonight because I believe this has to do with River of Life. Listen, I believe God is wanting to open the heavens like never before. And he's wanting, I'm not just saying this to stir somebody up and all this. I'm saying this that I really believe this is coming. God's wanting to increase His glory here radically. He's wanting to send a move of God to River of Life. 
But with that will come a concept here that we better understand the holy things of God and we better treat them as such or it will bring judgment. See, at the tabernacle, God's glory dwelled there and it was holy ground and God would not permit sin to come up in there. People had to deal with it. They had to deal with it in the outer court. Even, even the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, he had to deal with his sin in the outer court before he got in there in the glory. God's wanting us to deal with stuff that we need to deal with so we can go deeper in him, but we better deal with it. But at the tabernacle, what you had was every morning and every evening, there was the, remember the sacrifice, the evening and the morning sacrifice. There was continually a priest every evening and every morning that would burn the incense and pray and worship. And people, remember when David brought the ark into Jerusalem? And it was like a great revival took place under David. Israel had all those years under the judges where they were so backslid. And it was ridiculous. But David came on the scene under the leadership of Samuel and it was like a great revival. But what did David do? He brought the ark to Jerusalem and put like a sukkah, a tent around it. And what did he do? He created continual praise and worship that was going on. That was connected to the revival that was happening under David. My point is this. We want the glory of God to come and we want something to be sustained. We're going to have to get the pattern. Continual praise and worship, prayer, intercession. That's the pattern. I believe that in River of Life, the communion table has played a role in the presence of God here, the speaking blessings. I believe the unstructured services. I believe the flow of the Holy Spirit. All of that has been very important. But it's the persistent prayer that has been the most important. And that's the connection to the Hebrew roots. People wonder, how did Israel sustain that? How did the early church sustain for 300 years, sustain something so powerful before Roman Catholicism rose up? But how did the, Because the early church understood the Hebrew roots and understood the pattern that it was that continual worship and prayer that kept the fire burning, so to speak. The abiding presence of God. So I say that because River of Life. God spoke to me to redo the Watchmen program. And different people have a different day of the week. And this is kind of the foundation here. And some of you have already been in communication with me about this. You're already doing this. Thank you. I felt that we needed, you know, we were fasting one day a week. We were fasting just one meal. But I felt that God wanted us to up it a little bit from morning to evening. And I'm thankful because there's been a remnant that's willing to do that. But everybody has a day that they're covering. That's a part of this Watchman program. And I gave you a new sheet so that we can all be on the same page praying the same thing. On your day, I'm asking you, River of Life, please get serious about it. It is a serious thing. We need your prayers. And if we can have seven days of the week covered, and it's not hard because we're all sharing the burden. We each have just a day that we have to do. It's not that hard to do. If you want to do multiple days, that's fine. But we just have that one day. And if everybody will do their part, we will have continual seven days a week prayer and fasting in River of Life. We need it. Secondly, I'm saying to those that are intercessors, in the church have a special day that you really pray for the church specifically it could be your watch or it could be another day some of you come up and pray here on your own please keep that going we need to have the intercessors focused that at least one day a week that you really are interceding it's not just the watchman I'm talking about really getting into that deep groaning and travail that you're interceding for the church. We need it. And then finally, the corporate prayer we have on Tuesdays and the corporate prayer that we have here on Saturdays. 
Tuesday is much more intense and much longer than what we do on Saturdays, but we need to keep that corporate prayer strong. So please be faithful to come and help us pray because we need it. And thank you guys. We also have a, like a core group that comes 4.30 to 5.30 on Saturdays and prays here as well for the service. And it's just prayer. That's it. And so there, I'm trying to keep prayer the focus. That's the pattern that we see from the tabernacle and we see through David and we see on into the early church that people continued in worship and prayer. And because of that, the glory of God tabernacled in an awesome way. Prayer's the key. And I know you know this, but we've studied this out. The five things, humbling ourselves, praying, fasting, being faithful and giving, tithes and offerings, and then consecrating your life unto God. If we'll do those five things, I believe that God's really about to come down in River of Life in a powerful way. Please hear me. I know I'm closing this out. A lot of times people start getting a little weary. Hear this. God's about to come down in this ministry. Are y'all hearing me? He's about to really come down. Things we've been praying for, God's about to show up in an awesome way. A way you have not known. I'm not talking about this from a second-hand experience. I was there in the revivals of times past in the 90s. I was in them. In the midst. I'm not talking about second-hand. I'm talking about God is really about to come down in River of Life. And I know what that is. But I know many of you don't know what that is. But let me just say this. We need to make sure that we understand the holy things of God and we treat them as such. We need to understand that we're to be a holy people. There's things that, that because I'm a holy man of God that I don't watch. There's people I won't hang around. There's conversations I will not have. There's places I won't go. There's things that I'm not going to put in my body. And there's things that I'm not, not going to let my body participate in. Because I'm called to be holy. And this place is going to be holy. So please guard it as such. Keep things out of here that are not supposed to be here. Guard it. Guard the holiness of God. A fear of God that we need here in River of Life. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We want to be a holy people. We want this to be holy ground. And we want your glory to tabernacle here like we've never known. And I thank you, Lord, for this word tonight. Let it be sealed. Let it be sealed in every heart. Let the Holy Spirit stay on us. Let that holy fear of God remain. We don't want to just, you know, kind of shake that off and then go back to some things we, we don't need to go back to. Let the Holy Spirit, Father, remain. Deal with things that need to be dealt with. And I feel that be careful because God wants us to give up certain things or to change certain things. It's much easier if you just give it up than it is if God has to pry it out of your hands. If he has to pry it out, the way that that will look is is that you're going to go through some trials that you did not have to go through that will be very painful. But you will get through it and you'll repent then. But it could have been avoided. So let's just, just say to the Lord, whatever you want to do, Lord, I give up whatever I need to give up. What relationship has a believer with an unbeliever? What relationship is there between light and darkness? We don't want ungodly relationships. We don't want ungodly conversations. We don't want ungodly filth in our lives. We want to be a holy people. So Lord, let it be sealed tonight in Jesus' name.